This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. This is based on a true story. A long, long time ago, in a kingdom far, far away, all the people sought out a small group of wise and thoughtful shaman who healed their wounds and tended to their illnesses. In repayment, these shaman asked only for the highest levels of respect for them and for their profession and for what was usual and customary for payment. For many decades, these shaman employed the same prerequisites of respect and what was usual and customary. However, their world started to change when the people became grouped together and middlemen stepped in to pay the shaman. These middlemen demanded to know the true meaning of this usual and customary, and they found an ally in the kingdom's evil leaders. They too demanded to know the meaning of usual and customary. And when the shaman refused to share their knowledge, the kingdom partnered with those middlemen and said, then we'll create our own system. And if you want to be paid at all, you'll abide by it. The middlemen liked the system because it told them exactly what the shaman would be paid. The middlemen were smart and they knew if they could get the shaman on their side, they could control those payments throughout the kingdom. So they visited the shaman with offers of great wealth and power. However, the shaman were so used to being in control and having high respect and homage, they rebuffed the middlemen. The middlemen, they came to me. That's right, they came to me. I was a hospital executive. They told me how those shaman had rebuffed them, making various demands, and I said, I understand. Why don't we play golf Wednesday afternoon, have a few beers, and find a way to work together? Well, Wednesday afternoon came. The middlemen plied me with gifts of golf balls and trinkets, and we played golf, we drank, we laughed at the arrogance of the shaman, and we made a deal. The rest is simply history. DRGs, CPTs, managed care capitation, gatekeepers, HMO, PPOs, the shaman had had their opportunity. The curtain had been pulled back on usual and customary, and they had lost control, and their status suffered. Their sage advice was replaced by best practices as determined by the middlemen in the kingdom. Their patients no longer belonged to them, but to the middlemen, and they were soon the indentured servants of the hospitals and the middlemen. End of story? Well, you might think so. Perhaps the end to a long and difficult chapter. Uh, in Chinese, the symbol for crisis is also used for opportunity. And today, we do face an extraordinary and a unique crisis. And if approached in a thoughtful, professional, meticulous, and entrepreneurial manner, it can also represent both an extraordinary and a unique opportunity for you, shaman. Well, excuse me, in the vernacular of today for physicians. So far, a few have stepped up to the plate, but their standing seems a bit tenuous. Yet there is considerable difference between being the physician faces and voices of a politician and the physician advisors and counselors to the business community. First, businesses really do worry about liability. That means being safe or relatively safe, it's a big deal to them. Yes, we've all read about the exceptions, meat packing plants where workers are standing shoulder to shoulder with minimal or no PPE, but those are the exceptions and very likely a diminishing set of exceptions. So let me give you a few things to ponder. 
like my initial comments, they are also true. These are all headlines straight from my online news app today. Disneyland Resorts hints at modified experience when park finally opens from Fox News. Disinfected dice, Las Vegas casinos getting ready to roll from ABC News. As Napa wineries reopen, they're changing up their tastings, the intel. United Airlines and Clorox partner on coronavirus cleaning initiatives from Fox News again. Intercontinental Hotels bans buffets, limits elevators to three a ride from the Daily Mail. The future of work isn't remote, it's dynamic, Okada CEO says, and that's from Apple News. The post-pandemic workplace will hardly look like the one we left behind. Washington Post. And this is the end of the office as we know it from Vox News. These are just a tiny sampling from just one day. There are literally thousands. In other words, from Disneyland to major hotels, small wineries to business consultants, everyone is trying to figure out how to work safely. Why? Why is this so important? Because working safely is about everyone. It's about every single worker and every single customer, every owner, every investor. As we've seen, no one is excluded from the attack of COVID-19. It's also important because of financial reasons. The first financial reason may be risk. Why are some members of Congress right now trying to write legislation to minimize or eliminate liability for organizations who may open up with less than ideal safeguards for employees or customers? They're writing this legislation because risk will dictate spatial relationships, uses of PPE, and how products and services are bought and delivered. Then it's also simply important for doing business. Think of it this way. What if you had two grocery stores of equal quality selection and price to choose for shopping? One store had cleaning crews visibly working around the clock. The the staff wore protective face coverings appropriately and other PPE to engage with merchandise. Checkouts were protected areas were with barriers between staff and customers, and baggers openly disinfected their hands between each customer's goods. And customers, well, they were all required to wear face coverings as well. On the other hand, in the other store, no one wore a mask. They had no visible cleaning, no separators were between the checkout staff and customers, and various people bagged your goods. And customers, well, they weren't required to wear any face coverings either. I'd shop in a store I deemed to be the safest. And based on current surveys, somewhere between 60 and 80% of Americans would likely be doing the same. Saying this causes me to recall a somewhat pertinent anecdote. The point is this. What the first store did may have been overkill. It may not have been based on scientifically proven or even tested procedures, but it will make most people feel safer. So back to my story. This goes back to about 1985 or 86. I was vice president in a two-hospital town. Frankly, the hospitals were really pretty comparable in quality. After all, we mostly shared a medical staff, and the scope of services and amenities, well, they're pretty much on par with one another. However, at my hospital, we had this one difference. We had one housekeeping worker whose only job was to constantly run a floor polisher in the main entry and lobby of the hospital. And I, I really mean constantly. From morning until the end of each and every day, the polishing never stopped. One day, I heard someone commenting to the CEO that it seemed a bit of overkill, all that polishing. 
and he asked if he, the CEO, really thought it was necessary relative to keeping the lobby clean. CEO just laughed and simply said, it's, this isn't about keeping the lobby clean. It's about creating the constant impression for every single visitor that this hospital is clean. His point was simple. No, it's not absolutely necessary from a cleaning perspective, but it's vital from a PR one. And he was right. We were perceived by most as being an ultra-clean hospital. The same is true in your grocery store. Some of those measures being taken in the first store may be in vain in fighting the possibility of the spread of infection, but they may be vital in communicating that the company takes the issues seriously. Regardless, the point is this. The, the business world, whether manufacturing, transportation, information technology, retail, or service, they all need to create safe environments for the same reasons. One, they cannot afford to lose staff. Two, they cannot afford to risk liability for workers or for customers. And three, they must create a competitive advantage. And a critical element of that advantage today is, for a large portion of our populace, safety. How do they achieve their goals? Well, ask yourself this question. Wherever you live, big city, suburban, rural, literally any and everywhere, within a 50-mile radius of your home or office, how many businesses probably have a medical director? More importantly, how many do not? My guess is that you could reasonably assume 80% will have no medical leadership or medical advisor. Those businesses will be reliant on various business associations, perhaps insurers or other resources that will most likely be issuing categorical blanket guidelines by business type. That is, this is what restaurants should do. These are guidelines for your clothing store, for your auto dealership, and on and on. Think of their advice this way. You may do, or early in your career when you were trying to build your practice, you may have done some community education programs. You know, the living with your diabetes program or controlling your hypertension or perhaps the value of robotically assisted versus conventional hip replacement. It was certainly good information, factual and valuable from a baseline educational perspective. However, what it wasn't was this. It was not an individual diagnosis or prescription for care for anyone, not for a single person in that room. No, if they wanted to control their diabetes or their hypertension or get a new hip, they would need an individual diagnosis and treatment plan from you. The same is true in business. It's easy to say the insurance company recommends these steps for this type of business, but every business, just like every patient, is different. Blanket recommendations will most likely be wrong. The question is, how will they be wrong? And that's where you come in. You, a physician, can provide individual businesses with individual diagnoses. And you may be able to do this on a scale that it becomes your new non-clinical career path. Most would agree the need for needing safe environments is not going to go away. The driver or drivers of that need will likely change, but once you become the established expert, you can then rebrand yourself around whatever the current or emerging threat may be. The old saying is that you never get a second chance to make a first impression, but COVID-19 may be giving the medical community just such a second chance, or a second bite of the apple, as they say. The question is this. Are you ready to take it or are you going to let a second chance to be in charge, 
to change the relative stature and posture of physicians of the medical profession slip between your fingers once again. And believe me, there will not be a third chance in most of our lifetimes. Are you ready to wear this new mantle of authority? We're living in a time when there has seldom been a louder calling for the advice, knowledge, and insights of experts. Poll after poll says the American people believe the experts over the politicians. So the question is this, what are you doing to claim the high ground of expertise and perhaps return physicians to the levels of influence and respect they held several decades ago? Your grandfathers and grandmothers handed you the most respected profession in the world. However, for the past 30 years, that respect has been slowly ceded to pundits, payers, quacks, and pitchmen. Second chances are extraordinarily hard to come by. Will you grab the brass ring or, as I've witnessed in my career, simply respond that you're too busy to worry about it? The choice really is yours. If your choice is to take the steps necessary to regain some level of the control that physicians ceded to hospitals and payers over the past few decades, then this is how. First, know what you know. Regardless of your specialty, I'll bet you know how viruses basically spread. Certainly, enough has been published about COVID-19 to allow you to know at least the current, and our caveat here, it's ever-changing, the current best options from a host of experts. But think about what you know in the context of businesses in your area, perhaps businesses you frequent or are familiar with. What are your observations? What do they need to do regarding staff? What do they need to do relative to physical features of the work environment? What do they need to do? What do they need to say? How do they convey to their staff and their customers to make them and you feel safe using their businesses? How might they address the obvious issues that anyone could see? Then, how about the less obvious? That is, issues very specific to their business, not their industry per se. What specific issues or questions do the managers or owners have? What questions do the employees have? What questions may have been raised by customers or clients, or what questions are anticipated? If you're really stymied for a place to start, what about your own accountant or your financial advisor, your attorney? You must have business people in your practice. It certainly is not out of bounds to ask them what they're doing or considering doing differently to address staff, customer, and facility issues in response to the COVID-19 threat. Second, know what you don't know and then learn it. New technologies are coming into play to address issues of sterilization, social distancing, and both professional and consumer level PPE. Ford Motor Company has been using a Samsung watch that alerts workers when they're too close to one another and can even provide contact tracing for infected workers. Various human-safe sprays and aerosols are on the market to disinfect nearly instantly. Some of this has been thoroughly vetted, but some is not. You know what questions to ask and you know how to interpret the answers. Further, what you don't know is very likely what nearly every medical and healthcare worker also doesn't know. It's that we don't know what's coming next. Now is the time to prepare for the next wave. What can you do in the workplace today that may change a similar threat six months from now or six years from now? What can you change relative to the quality and availability of PPE that can enhance the safety of healthcare workers or reduce the exposure of society? Like every business endeavor, you can either sit by and daydream about what might have been or 
You can develop detailed plans of action to make something happen. You have the knowledge and you have the contacts. And today, you're literally being asked to take the stage to provide the necessary facts everyone needs to make the best possible decisions for public health and for the economy. Remember, we can and we have recovered from both recessions and depressions. No one has yet to figure out how to recover from death. As always, if you have questions or comments about this podcast, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585 for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening. <laughs>